Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Mr. Doug Battle. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. So, Doug, this is you know, one of the continuing themes in, in the podcast is that it's always it's always almost a little bit disappointing, right? Because we're we're doing a sports analytics podcast and you know this this whole thing started out with rankings of fan bases, which was kind of a fun barroom slash marketing exercise, move into sports analytics and it's like it's a topic everyone loves. And, you know, I've been around the block. I've done draft analytics for the Atlanta United, for the Atlanta Dream. But, you know, one of the things that has obviously happened over time is that politics keeps invading sports and in sports fandom. So with that being said, I'm actually almost a little bit excited about this one this week because college sports is both the most pure, it might be the purest sport in terms of fandom, might also be the most corrupt sport (laughs) in terms of the economic model that underlies it. But it is time to talk college football. We are taping on uh, August 16th, which I'm going to throw it right out to you. When's the first college football game? When's the Chick-fil-A, was it the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic or some Chick-fil-A bowl? You know, Mike, the the first college football game that matters is September fourth. I believe. Okay. I believe college football technically starts. There's a bunch of unimportant games uh, the week prior to that, and so I think technically we are going to kick off on the twenty eighth. That I could be wrong, but that's the Saturday before the fourth. So that's where I'm going with. So, so we're a week and a half away from something that a big chunk of America truly, truly. Loves, you know, I think there are more NFL fans than college football fans, but I think on a fan by fan basis, the degree of passion is probably greater for for the college fan than it is for the pro fan, right? And and, and it makes some sense, right? That well, and, and you know, like I, again, some people are probably already mad at me for for what I'm They're saying. Canceled, but Mike. Th- this fundamental thing of you root for the team where you live, or you root for the team that you belong mm. to, right? And I remember that when I was back at the University of Florida, they were doing the Gator Nation marketing campaign. And 
you know, everyone loves it. Oh, yeah, the Gator Nation. But the, the fact is, it's the Illini Nation. It's the Dog mm-hmm. Nation. It's the Ute Nation. It's and there's something kind of special about that, right? This 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 pure affiliation, this this nation of fans, often alumni, students, some other people coming into it. But it is it's a special kind of fandom. It is a special fandom, and I am right there in the middle of it. So I'm fired up about college football starting back. I'll say, Mike, since practices began uh, for my alma mater. I have been somewhat obsessive keeping up with just practice reports, just seeing who's who's standing out, who's how's the offensive line looking, all hey, the rest. Doug, Doug, how do you do that? Is it Instagram, Twitter? No, I. Oh um, uh, well, yes, Twitter, Twitter, message Twitter, boards. Yeah, message boards is is uh, where it's at. That's like a whole. That's where the super fans are. That's where people pay a subscription. Um, which fortunately, I am not in a position where I have to do that. But uh, people pay a subscription. Oh, Doug, I know. I probably was a subscriber to Rivals, yeah. the Rivals Illinois board for the better part of a decade. And I finally gave it up because it was like so much smoke oh, blowing yeah. in terms of we're, we're going to land this recruit, we're going to land that yeah. recruit. And it's a lot of smoke. It's a lot of smoke. Sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire. Sometimes when there's smoke, um, somebody's smoking. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and you see that all the time in the the uh, message boards. But yeah, I enjoy it because you see the, you know, this weekend was first scrimmage for a lot of these teams on Saturday and you got fan bases panicking because the defense beat the offense and that must mean the offense sucks and the quarterback (laughs) needs to be replaced and the offensive line is terrible and the offensive coordinator isn't doing his job. People in panic mode already after one week of practice, it's a beautiful thing. It's college football. So I'm fired up about the season. Um, Obviously my team, Georgia plays Clemson week one, which is quite the matchup number three versus number five, I believe. So kind of that playoff. Well, why don't we start? Why don't we start right there with the AP top 25? And let me let me read it off to you, and because it's this is interesting to me in that wow, this starts to sound familiar after a while. At number one, we've got Alabama. I'm sure. No surprise there. Yeah. Offhand, what do you think Alabama has been uh, the preseason number one fifty percent of the time over, in the last decade? Over fifty percent. Over over fifty percent. I would say I would I would venture out to say eighty percent. I think it's yeah, been that much. Funny thing about Bama is this is a team that loses their starting quarterback, you, the bulk of the receiving core, their star running back, several what offensive was it? linemen. I mean, they, they what lose. What was it, five or six first-round draft picks? Yeah, and, and right. they're still favored to be the best team in college football. But you look at their recruiting, they had the number one class. They had their best recruiting class they've ever had <laughs> this last year, ever. Yeah. And so they might have a little more youth this year, which which may present an opportunity for some more veteran teams. But they are probably the most yeah. talented and the most well-coached team in college football. Sure. I was I was having a conversation with someone earlier um, this week where I was saying, you know, I think if as a Georgia fan, but even looking at Clemson or Ohio State, I think if you put the Georgia players, the talent that they have in Alabama jerseys, that that would be the number one team in the country. Um, the aura. The Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I think same with, yeah. with if it were Clemson players, if Alabama had Clemson's roster and people would be looking at it and saying, you know, they got this young quarterback that's incredibly talented, was number one in, in high school or number two, whatever it was him and the Alabama guy, but... You get the idea. He would probably would have been number one if yeah. he had gone to Alabama. <laughs> so. Hey, look, you know, the, it's it's an underappreciated part of all of this, but culture, 
culture matters and yeah. you know culture is this ill-defined term but part of it is an you know an expectation of results and and look you i mean you're a young guy but throughout your career you're going to work at a lot of organizations some of them are going to some of them are let's going to say the starting point might be losing more frequently at some of them than than at others yeah. right i mean there there's it's it's just how it is it's something that it's one of these kind of mysteries of you know, and I always talk about like the Cleveland Brown effect. You know, how many top-ranked quarterbacks can the Browns pick before they get one that's that, that works out? It's you know, and then I think you're you're dead on that. There's something about Alabama, a mystique mm-hmm. that lends confidence and pro- helps produce the results. Yeah, uh, and number it, it's one of those oh. things where they might be picked number one, and I might look at it and say, I actually think, you know, Georgia, if you just look at it, if you just take the jerseys off and just look at it on paper, I think Georgia probably, if they were in Alabama uniforms, they would be the number one team in the country. But come Georgia-Alabama time, uh, I'm not yeah. I'm not going to believe Georgia's winning that game until they do. You know, it's just like Alabama, I think that mystique <laughs> actually helps them in games like there, there's something about it where i'm not going to pick anyone against them until it actually happens mm-hmm. at number two we've got oklahoma number three clemson number four ohio state number five georgia you know going back to your point i feel like this may have been the top five in the country every year for the last five years yeah with with a few exceptions of Maybe a Florida State jumps in or Washington an LSU jumps or in. LSU, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that stands out to me, we talk all the time in the NFL about quarterbacks, how it's a quarterback-driven league, how you can't win a championship without an elite quarterback, <clears throat> with exception, of course, Nick Foles for the Eagles, probably the most recent. Um, college football, you look at that top four. Number one, Alabama. Quarterback, Bryce Young, number one quarterback in last year's class. Number two. Two was Oklahoma. Yep. Uh, Spencer Rattler, number one quarterback from the year before that. Okay, so he's the number one quarterback in the junior class. And the highest uh, profile NIL yes. uh, success so far. Yes. At least announced deals. Number three, Clemson. Clemson. DJU. The Arguably, number he was in that same class as Bryce Young at Alabama. They were one and two. I I remember when he was in high school, people saying that DJU was the best high school quarterback of all time. Uh, but nevertheless, elite quarterback talent. Number four, Ohio State, CJ Stroud, the number three quarterback in that same <laughs> class. So it was Bryce Young, yeah. DJU, and Stroud all in that one class. One, two, and three in the country. And four. And then you go to Georgia, JT Daniels, number three quarterback from the I don't know two thousand. 18 class um another guy who's making a lot of money on nil i saw recently he's splitting half of it with his teammates which is kind of awesome so yeah you know and and let's come back to that issue of splitting nil deals with their teammates because i think there's been some at least interesting comments on that front okay doug the second half of the top 10 texas a&m very legit program yep number seven Iowa State. What? Yeah. Number eight, Cincinnati. Number nine, Notre Dame. And number 10, North Carolina. Yeah. And if, and prior to Notre Dame joining the ACC, I might say, well, they're, they're going to be a shoe in for the playoff because they have such an easy schedule. But now they've probably got to get through Clemson at some point. Uh, so th- that certainly changes things. Cincinnati is a team that went undefeated last year and didn't make the playoff under, undefeated in the regular season. 
So no surprise to see them there, especially, again, with a returning quarterback, a veteran quarterback, very talented quarterback, and Desmond Riddler. So let's just uh, sort of recap this just a little bit, think about how this is likely to go and sort of conference by conference. So in the SEC, you've got Alabama, Georgia, uh, Georgia Texas A&M. Texas A&M is the, is the class of the, the league. In the Big 12, Oklahoma, with maybe a challenge by Iowa State. Oklahoma, who Inter- doesn't want to be in the Big 12. <laughs> yeah. Well, and interestingly, I think Texas is ranked something like 20th in this poll. It's got to be weird uh, like to be Oklahoma to win a Big 12. Let's say they win the Big 12 championship or Texas or whoever. Let's say they win that. Like It's got to it's gotta be a little less valuable oh, when you're about to leave the Big 12 and you're, you don't like the conference, but you win the conference champion. Uh, like how much pride do you take? And, oh. you know, are they chaining out SEC <laughs> at their, at their <laughs> championship game? SEC, SEC, as they win the big 12 championship. Yeah. It's like, you're blowing the whole thing up. Right. I mean, you're, you're playing in the championship. I mean, game, if I'm the big 12, I don't it just know, doesn't matter. I don't know if I want the face, of course, money wise, uh, they're probably incentivized to want this, but I don't know if I want the face of my league to be a team that wants out of my league. Well, I mean, look, I think the Big 12, right? And so conference realignment is going to be a subplot of this year. Yeah. I mean, if you're the Big 12, I, look, I don't think there is a Big 12 going forward, right? If Oklahoma, When Oklahoma and Texas walk out, those other schools are going to have to come up with a plan B, whether they, they scatter and they try and hook on with the Big 10 or the, the PAC. Now he's getting confused as a PAC. Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12, mm-hmm. the Pacific Conference, let, let's say. Are they going to try and scramble and join these other conferences? Or are they going to try and keep this other thing, the, this Big 12, alive? So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's brutal, but it's almost like everyone's probably, it, it's tough, right? Everyone's going to be looking ahead now, moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the other conferences, uh, Clemson in the ACC with... Uh, Notre Dame and North Carolina, and that's your uh, you know kind of one of the thing that's interesting. One of the you know the Power Five conferences we left one out, right, Doug? Yeah, we did. Yeah, um, Oregon at number eleven, USC at number fifteen. So it's uh, well, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the Pac-10 sort of trailing the field, unlikely to be in the college football playoff at least at the onset of the season it seems like that conference they knock each other out during the season you know oregon will beat stanford and then stanford will beat usc and then usc will be i mean it's just a cycle almost every year it seems but nevertheless i wouldn't count out um particularly usc that's a team with a veteran quarterback returning uh and a team that historically has been there just it's it's kind of taken its time to return to the limelight so they're a team to keep an eye on. You mentioned UNC earlier. Sam Howell might be the best quarterback in college football. He's This is his NFL year. This is his last year um, in the ACC. That's a team that's a, a dark horse, in my opinion, to to make a run. So as much as it feels predictable, it feels like, okay, we're definitely going to have Alabama. We're definitely going to have Clemson. We're most likely going to have Oklahoma. And then Ohio State wow. will probably go undefeated. Maybe Georgia, maybe um, or maybe some other SEC team, Texas A&M. I don't know, but it feels like the top five teams are kind of solidified. And yet you look at it and you say, well, I don't know. UNC could could give Clemson a hard time. Notre Dame could sneak in there. I mean, that's a top ten team in the ACC. Um, and Oregon and USC. I mean, USC is a team with a veteran quarterback. Like I said, Oregon's a team that always seems to be in the mix. Always seems to be at least within a game of qualifying for the playoffs. So, 
Um, you know, there, there could be some plot twists, but I can never bet against Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, those four right there. And then I would say Georgia, maybe, um, and Notre Dame, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and it is, it, it's fun, but it does seem, I mean, going along with your theme, will it be predictable? Yeah. At least the way it's it's laid out at the beginning, it does seem like it's going to be very reminiscent of past years, where you you almost imagine the scenario where, oh, you know, Georgia's got one loss, but if they win the SEC, then they'll We've be seen in it. the playoff. It's almost every year. It's almost yeah, every year. And, the, they'll and, and you know, Oklahoma has a stumble against Ohio. You know, against Iowa some State, horrible team. <laughs> will they recover and get through, or will you know, will the, Notre Dame or Oklahoma, North Oklahoma will stumble against some unranked team. And everyone will write them off, count them out, and then they'll claw their way back in, win the rest of their games, and they'll be in the conversation at the end of the year. It happens almost every year. Ohio State does that often. Georgia does that. Georgia might lose. Yeah. Georgia could lose game one. Media will write them off. The fan base, Georgia's own fan base, will largely say, you know, ah, here we go again. And come the end of the season, they'll have a playing game for the playoff i mean it, it happens almost every year it seems so we'll see what happens but it feels predictable i'd love to see some chaos this year after you know, so the, many uh, years of it, the same outcomes as i'm looking through this you know one of the things i tend to look for is those who are missing and you know i'm sort of quickly going through this so texas like i said texas at 21 texas. so they're they're still in the top 25 uh University of Michigan hmm. absent from the top twenty-five is an at what point is the Harbaugh experiment yeah. done? <laughs> I mean, he's had he's had quite some time and has not met his sky-high expectations. Not, not even close. I, I have to think it's close to being done. It's got to, be. and I'm not following sort of the coaches on the hot seat, but when the you know, it's not even a matter of now. Now it's not a matter of just losing to Ohio State. If you look at the schools that are ranked from the Big Ten, you've got Wisconsin, Indiana. Okay, so Indiana is ranked in the preseason. Michigan is not. You're not a Midwestern guy, Doug, but that does not make any sense for no. Big Ten I, football It doesn't fans. make sense to me, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I know quite Iowa, a few Michigan fans. Don't know any Iowa, Indiana. Penn State. Indiana. So it's, you know, if he's not on the hot seat, it's got to be getting really, really close. Now, they are actually in the other's receiving votes so perhaps they're a top 30 team yeah so i think my sleeper teams looking at it would be i actually think you know this is going to sound crazy as a georgia fan i tend to over rank auburn because i just fear them because i hate losing to them and i'm like we can't we can't overlook auburn but they've got a new head coach that's a team over the years that has lost so many big games because of just terrible coaching just awful coaching decisions in game. And I've always been like, man, if they had, if they just had a coach with common sense, they would, they would be making a lot of noise. You look back with the Joe Burrow team years, a few years back that seemed invincible. Auburn lost to that team, I think by three points in Baton Rouge and they turned the ball over like seven times and they ran the most ridiculous trick plays on fourth down. And, they they do that against Georgia every year. I see it every year. So that's the team that's got a new coach, um, got a upperclassman quarterback that's always had potential but never put it all together. 
and and a great running back. Um, I don't expect them because the SEC West is so difficult and because their their cross division rival is Georgia. Their schedule is brutal every year. I don't expect them to do well, but I I also am kind of keeping an eye on them like I am with UNC and the ACC um, and, and Notre Dame and the ACC as well. Now, Doug, let me ask you a different question on all this. Since you're born and raised in Alabama, mm-hmm. and frankly, you're the only person i don't even know if you're born in alabama but I was. raised in alabama yeah, let's yeah. say you're the only person you're only native alabama alabamian that works um, that works that i that i know how does fandom work in oh, alabama I, I mean in terms of the the state dividing itself between alabama and auburn listen i'm biased because i'm from alabama but I will say I'm less biased than everyone else in Alabama because I'm not an Alabama or Auburn fan. Okay, I don't like those teams. I pull against them. We are not allies in any way. But I, I've just got to say, having lived in Alabama, lived in Georgia, lived in, in a few other states, the fan setup in Alabama is like nothing else. Everyone, I mean, you if you tell someone you are a football fan, you don't have to say college football. You say, yeah, I I love football. And they'll just literally, the first thing they'll say is Alabama or Auburn. That's Alabama or Auburn. Alabama or Auburn. And all growing up, I would hear, even sometimes if you're out of the state, people around the state and bordering states know the culture there. And when you say, oh, I'm from Alabama, you don't have to say you're a football fan. You say, I'm from Alabama. And the first thing they say is Alabama or Auburn. It is the most divided state. Every other person is one of the teams and those fan bases are so passionate. Alabama takes well, Doug, so much pride. Doug, do you do you have to choose a loyalty? I mean, is it almost weird if you don't? Yeah, it's weird if you don't. And I'm that guy. Okay. Because um, I pull okay. for Georgia, and we play both of those teams on a. Okay, but junior high, Doug, seventh grade, Doug, did you uh, have to choose? No, I, I, you know, when I remember, let's go back a little further. Let's go elementary school. There was a time when. I would say, yeah, Alabama. Like, I, I mean, I would say I'm a Georgia fan, but if I have to choose, it's Alabama because we had a lot of connections within the Alabama program um, and, and personal relationships with players on the team or whatnot with my family. And so, we would we would go to games and pull for them. And it's it's kind of in retrospect looking back, like, man, how much easier would my life have been if I had just stuck with the Alabama <laughs> fandom? <laughs> but um, that would that would have been just easy. But yeah, so there was a time where I would have said Alabama. Honestly, there was a time where I would have said Auburn. I, I think when I was real young and naive, um, I enjoyed watching. I was just a huge fan of great running backs. And when they had Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown, I really enjoyed that. Um, and, and so at that time, I would have said Auburn. Later on, I was, there was like there was a turning point with my fandom where I went from like being okay with Auburn to absolutely hating Auburn. Um, and it was a specific game, a specific year. But Alabama, I would have said I'm not against them until they became a threat to my team. And then they became the biggest threat to my team. And it's like, okay, I can no longer, you know, root for them against anybody. You know, it, it's a very small point. But as I look at back at this, um, as I look back at this top 25, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of what you're talking about is, you know, it's the other side of fandom, right? See, this the sort of the hate side yep. versus the love, love this team, hate the rival. Doesn't actually seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of parity between some of the traditional rivalries in in college football. There's uh, you know Michigan is not in the top twenty five to fight it out with Ohio State. Uh, right. Frankly, Texas, Texas is not, and Oklahoma. Yeah. Texas and Oklahoma. Um, 
I mean, look at Georgia uh, Tech and Georgia. Georgia, I mean, my understanding is, well, I, I don't know. Georgia's a funny one. And I'm, as an outsider living in this area, it seems to me that Georgia fans have a bigger distaste for Auburn they do. than Georgia Tech. They do. It's like Georgia Tech is something they don't take all that seriously. No. Yeah. It's, and Georgia Tech fans hate that. It's just the way it is. It's, uh, uh, it's, first off, Georgia could go undefeated, lose the Georgia Tech game. It wouldn't mean anything. They wouldn't affect their chances of winning a national championship, winning a conference championship. They're they're in a different conference, so that that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, Georgia's used to competing against teams that a can affect that, but b have similar resources, recruit against them regularly, have great facilities, have you know these all these NFL coaches on their staff, have players that we wanted on their team. I don't know if they're. I don't. I can't remember the last Georgia Tech player that Georgia wanted, like that Georgia Tech rec- that Georgia recruited and that ended up playing for Tech. And so, there's there's all these other factors that go into the SEC rivalries that's just not there with Tech. Um, and it, to me, it's it's the worst rivalry in college football because it's supposed to be this big rivalry, but there's very little there. There's very little there. Yeah. There's very little parity. But well, what do they call it locally? Pure hate or something? Yeah, yeah. Clean old fashioned hate. Uh, Clean old fashioned. Yeah, I think most of that hate is Georgia Tech fans that hate Georgia. <laughs> I mean that that's one. But you know, getting back to Alabama and Auburn, looking at the hate side of things, there are, I mean, Alabama fans watch. The hardcore Alabama fan knows more about Auburn football than the casual Auburn fan and vice versa um, mm. because the the hardcore Alabama fan watches every single Auburn game. It doesn't matter if it's their spring game. It doesn't matter if they're playing UAB or, or Sanford, one of the small town local teams. Um, Alabama fans will watch the game, A, to scout out the team because they fear them and they, they think – you know, we got to we got to get comfortable and kind of know what we're going up against and be um, to root against them. And I grew up doing that. I think my or at the point when I decided I hated Auburn, my dad and I would watch every single and still do to this day, every single Auburn game pull for the other team. And so we know everything about that opposing team. We watch them. We probably generate as much money for them as their actual fans do. Um, but that's that's another part of the culture in Alabama. Auburn is people watch the games. People pull against the other team. I remember. Um, when Alabama went to the national championship against Texas, watching with Auburn fans that were pulling for Texas. I remember when Auburn made the national championship against Oregon, some friends and I bought Oregon t-shirts and would wear them around town. And we were all, we were all on board for this Oregon team. They were going to be our second team that year because they were going to play Auburn in the national championship. Okay. I think that's a very, you know, I love where you come from that because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of grounded in passion. But I think you've uncovered kind of a fundamental truth about fandom, mm-hmm. like this notion that hardcore fans are more knowledgeable than casual fans. And look, we we could argue whether or not casual fans are actually fans, right? If they're actually even that and, legitimate. And I, I will make I, that argument all the time. Those people drive me crazy. Because anyone that is a hardcore fan, especially these days, you you follow everything. Yeah, you you follow you know, and it, it starts to get personal and almost at a I mean, very people, young age when some you know high school sophomore commits to the wrong school. Yeah, right. So so very often you'll know everything about their players before their players get to campus, and the casual fans that have you know throw on the sweatshirt on Saturdays after they win. Right, so it's yeah. it's it's not even it's 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 not even all that close. Yeah, that you know, you saying that reminded <coughs> me of um, 
of there was a player in Auburn from like he played high school at Auburn High School. He was one of the top linebackers in the country. He was a big Auburn fan. He was committed to Auburn. He had a giant Auburn tattoo <laughs> on his arm. I'm not joking. And he he's I think he's in the NFL now. He might have he had some personal issues. Uh, but Auburn tattoo late in his recruitment was flipped by Alabama. Leaves Auburn High School, graduates Auburn High School, moves across the state to Tuscaloosa to play for the Crimson Tide with an Auburn tattoo, big AU on his arm, Reuben Foster. And if that doesn't tell you anything about that state, I don't know what will. I mean, that, that state is very divided. The fan, the Alabama fans ate it up. Auburn fans hated him. They said he's a head case anyway. You know, he's a mess. He's going he's gonna to be a cancer in the I, locker room. He's a traitor. He's a snake. Um, okay, and I don't really want to go where I'm going to go with this next question. The Auburn fans probably almost all universally accused Alabama of cheating and payoffs on that. Oh, well, of that course. Kind of deal uh, that that as goes well. without yeah. saying. And Auburn gets accused of yeah. that more. If Auburn ever gets a player over Alabama, it's like, well, they definitely paid because why else would they not want to go to Alabama? That's kind of the thinking. Okay. So, Doug, we're spending a lot of time talking about, call it, the, you know, the, the elite of the college football world. Big big story, obviously, this last year, uh, mostly for, for all of college sports, but frankly, it's mostly going to, it seems like it's mostly about college football, is NIL. Yeah. Um, we've been following the stories all summer. I've noticed that there's been a little bit of, I don't know, almost like trial balloons. And so I, I saw an interview with the Ohio State coach talking about how he hopes that the NIL money can almost be pooled and shared across the team rather than just concentrated at the high profile positions. Yeah. The rise of socialism in college football. Well, and and really a remarkable situation, right? So, you know, all the schools have come up with their own marketing programs to help people generate NIL money. So now you find these coaches in an interesting position of trying to help their players earn money from outside entities, then somehow pool the money and distribute it across the team, which sounds to me a hundred percent like it's an effort to turn these teams into pure professionals. But again, and this is why we said the most pure fandom, but maybe the most corrupt economic model. So professional teams that are paid by other people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That uh, that sums it up perfectly. That seems to be the model. I've seen several cases of players choosing. I mentioned JT Daniels earlier, choosing to distribute their money to their teammates. I admire that. I don't like. Do you know? Do you know how that works? What's the mechanism for doing? I have no idea. But I don't like okay. the notion that we should systemically. Um, just saying that word makes it sound problematic. That we should systemically um, pull them. <laughs> Doug. Doug. To hold on, time out. Systemically problematic <laughs> might be the most 20, 2021 phrase you can utter. I'm going to name the episode that. Um, <laughs> the, the most, so if we systemically pull the money, um, you know, I, I, I think that you're creating a system. You're going from a system of you know, these players aren't getting paid what they're worth to the player on the bench is going to get paid as much as the player that's earning the money the big star for the team. So I don't like that. I, I I do admire when the players choose to do that. I hope that it doesn't move toward 
uh, everyone getting paid the same in a regular regulated way. Um, so we'll see, well, but it, it seems right now like there's going to be a few stars that generate a lot of money, and then a lot of people that don't generate any money at all from a just purely from a sponsorship standpoint. Okay, but th- think about the weirdness of this. So let's say JT Daniels yeah. is, and, and I don't know. I, I did did Saban say that the Alabama quarterback was going to make about a million dollars? He did uh, he, indicate that 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 he is already in okay. that ballpark. Okay, so let's say the Alabama quarterback is going to make a million dollars. And look, the Ohio State coach is not wrong because maybe the Alabama quarterback is a position in life that will always make a million dollars, right? If he's not very good, maybe he's going to make 500K. If he's really, you know, if he's tremendous, maybe he makes 1.5 million. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who knows? But you could imagine it going this way. So the Alabama. And again, like I don't know how this works, so this is just this is just kind of talking out loud. Does the Alabama quarterback basically form a corporation, and I don't know which is the the, the appropriate one, mm-hmm. and then is suddenly now that player paying the rest of the roster? Yeah, I mean that might be uh, the that might be the model. The re- I mean, so you have an NIL, someone making money from NIL, and then that person is also paying NIL dollars to other players on the team. That could be the model, and to be frank, I, I I get it. Like if I'm JT Daniels, I think a kid like that realizes I want my teammates to want me to succeed. I also acknowledge that my success comes in large part due to my teammates. There is an offensive line, even the scout team. The scout team contributes to the success of the quarterback. You know the yeah. um, the offensive line, the receivers, the tight ends. I mean anyone on the running backs that are picking up blocks are all helping make that quarterback look good quarterbacks cashing out on it, but he wants to, you know, he wants to continue incentivizing those people turn around and redistribute some of that money to the players that are helping him have success. So I completely get that, but you know, to play devil's advocate or I guess on the flip side, JT Daniels or any of these quarterbacks, they're not being paid for their touchdowns directly. They're being paid for holding up a can of a sports drink and saying that that's what powers their performance. And so, uh, you know, the the scout team isn't doing that, right? The offensive line isn't doing that, or the receivers aren't doing that for that particular endorsement. And so you know, there does come a point where it's like, sh- sh- should a player like that be able to purely profit off of his endorsement, off of his, essentially his marketing business, for his third-party marketing business for these other companies and i think they absolutely should i like how it is now where the player has the freedom to choose how to allocate their money whether it's all to themselves or to their teammates i think we're looking at this from slightly different angles i think you're looking at it in the appropriate way (laughs) in in terms of like what is the right thing to do right and and look it it, this is always going to be a complicated thing right because it's a team sport and with individuals that contribute more than others so how do you how do you divide that up is is almost always going to be impossible. But I'm just imagining some scenario where a player is now a $2 million a year business, mm-hmm. maybe a $5 million a year business, yeah. depending on how. I mean, if it's I, Zion it Williamson at Duke basketball, I would imagine okay. it's even more than that. So, okay. Well, and so a $5 million business, there's going to be multiple people involved in running that business. Mm-hmm. So now these coaches in, this or these college football organizations in this 
kind of scam of they're going to get outsiders to pay their players now have this strange situation where the the CEO of the Zion Williamson Corporation is <laughs> determining how to allocate some money to other members of the Duke basketball team or in, you know, college football is almost worse, right? Since you have to stay there for three years mm-hmm. may also be fielding offers and keeping an eye on the NCAA transfer portal. So I guess, I guess my point is, you know, if the dollars do end up as big as some people think they're going to be, we're going to have a lot of layers to this. There's, It's so complex. It's, it's not as clean. It's not nearly as clean as it would be in a model where the teams just pay the players. Because um, I, I like what you're getting at with the transfer portal. Imagine one of these quarterbacks who wants to win the Heisman, have success. Imagine the top receiver in the country is in the transfer portal. Um, and there's a quarterback earning $2 million, like you said. What if he wants to pair up with that? I mean, what if the player, what if one player wants to pay another player to join his yeah. team and help his team win a national championship? It's really getting to the point where th- that's not outside yeah. the realm of possibility. I, I would almost say it's probable. Yeah. And, and look, one of the other things, you know, I, I suppose my college football corporation as a, as a star player could potentially buy NFTs. Right from other players. I mean, it, it it is. It's gonna be. You know, I I, I kind of hate to use the term, but I think they got to come up with something relatively quickly. And I don't see any. I don't see any structure in place that's going to allow them to come up with anything. No, I I yeah, like I, I, I like it. I like that it's the wild yeah. west, and because players can uh-huh. get creative. Hey, and Doug, I like it too. But I also feel like I should not like chaos in sports as much as I do. <laughs> so I'm trying to deny my joy. It's sort of speculating how this could spin out of control. Yeah, I love how it could spin out of control. I also imagine imagine a team where the quarterback's making $10 million and he's distributing that across the team, um, across the other players on his team. Imagine recruiting. Like, Who isn't going to want to play for that? Who isn't going to want... To just go where they're guaranteed just being on the team to make more money than they would somewhere else. And so there's there's so much well, that's going to go into the financial side of this. Um, especially, particularly, I think if a team wins a national championship, the amount of money they generate and the amount of sponsors that are going to want to partner with that team's players, that team's players are going to be significantly wealthier than other teams in college football teams that didn't make the playoffs. And so competing and recruiting for, you know, uh, if, let's say there's a player revenue sharing model. Um, that team is going to have a huge, even more of a leg up than they already have in recruiting. Cause that team is likely Alabama and they already have a huge advantage in recruiting. Okay. So let's, let, let's pause there just for a second, because what you just said and sort of where we're going with this is there appear to be a number of organizations, fledgling organizations, the latest of which is something called the College Football Players Association, which is led by a former professor, and they've got an advisory board put together. So uh, there are multiple entities, I think, competing to become essentially players' unions at the college level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the challenges in all of this is that there is no one there's no one for the NCAA to negotiate with on the player side to impose any kind of regulations. It seems, and, and look, I have no sense of who the winners are going to be, but it seems like there's going to be a push to force the players 
to adopt one or two of these, you know, one or two of these unions. Um, one of the things we mentioned early on in the sort of the background in this season is going to be uh, re- league realignment in terms of maybe a power two conference structure. But I got to think that you're going to see a dominant players union at the level of at least the SEC and the Big Ten. And maybe what you're going to see is a dominant players union organization for the haves and then something else for the haves, not have nots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised um, to see that. It, it's just going to be interesting, just much like with these NIL agencies, if you will, that, that are performing as sports agencies for these players. There's so many of them, and it feels as though there's going to be one that really rises to the top for the top players and maybe one that rises to the top for the rest of the league. Um, you know, who who wins? How do you rise to the top as a players union when there's 10 different sports or 10 different players unions competing for, for that same power. And and what's, what are they negotiating for? Right. I mean, you know, the players unions at the pro ranks, you know, this, this, again, we always sort of come full circle professional sports works because you've got collective bargaining agreements that legislate things like player movements, Mm -hmm. uh, salary caps. So you can maintain some type of, competitive balance it's hard to imagine something like that existing at the at the college level uh, doing things like regulating player movements uh, across schools uh, because at the end of the day right these stu- these athletes are i got to be careful there right these athletes are students mm-hmm. or maybe these students are athletes uh, you know the the waters are going to get very murky very quickly uh, going forward absolutely and speaking of murky water moving forward conference alignment realignment uh the sec is looking to add oklahoma and texas in the coming years i think uh, i saw recently the big 10 acc and pac 12 are actively discussing a scheduling alliance so i think they would remain separate conferences yeah. but they would play each other as if they were their own and obviously you could see this becoming just one mega conference um to counter the sec's so which was the sorry which three yeah, the, ACC the Big, Ten, Big Ten Big Ten ACC Pac- and Pac twelve, um, which the the flights for that would be wild going ACC to Pac twelve and Washington <laughs> well, at what, UNC, Florida State. What wasn't there some discussion and I, I don't know how serious there was. I'm I'm thinking you're following this more closely than I am. That Clemson and Florida State mm-hmm. had also approached the SEC. There was a rumor. Um, I don't know if it's anything more than that. It wouldn't surprise me. The caliber of football programs those are, I mean, they would certainly be on brand uh, in the SEC. And I would love to see that, but I don't know for certain that that, that things are moving in that direction. Um, I've heard that that's been discussed. I've also heard, like I just said, that you know the ACC's discussing partnering with Big Ten and Pac-12. So you, you put a conference together with... Notre Dame and Clemson and Florida State, Miami, match, mix and match them with Ohio State and Michigan, uh, Oregon. I mean, USC, you start to have a conference that's at least rivaling, rivaling well, the SEC as it, as it okay. stands now. How many schools can you have in a conference and have it actually mean anything? It's getting to the point where the, a conference is going to be like a league. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, because if you, it, what you're describing, so if you put together a conference with, uh, let's call it 30, 32 schools, 
across those groups. Let's say some uh, some schools drop out. You you're playing. Um, <laughs> there's certain members of the conference. You're you're playing your historical rivals on an annual basis. Yeah. And there are other members of the conference you're playing every five, six years, yeah. potentially. Yeah, I think so. I think the goal of this would be, you know, if the SEC is going to be half of the top 10 or top 20 teams in the league and, and those the resumes of those teams, the successful teams in that conference are going to be phenomenal. And so if you could, if you're the ACC and you're thinking, you know, Clemson and Notre Dame play each other, but what if we could put Notre Dame against Ohio State? And that would, you know, be, that would generate a lot of money. Um, it would also give us some some sort form of parity and scheduling to the SEC uh, because as it stands now, a team like Clemson is almost guaranteed to go undefeated or one loss every year. Whereas you look in the SEC West, imagine they add uh, Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, imagine they add Oklahoma to that division, and you've got Alabama having to play Auburn, LSU, um, Texas A and M, Oklahoma. I mean, those are all top fifteen teams most years so this i think for scheduling parity if anything these kind of conference alliances could help um give these conferences the same weight and the same uh legitimacy as the sec with the sec growing in in, you know power really this offseason okay well here here's a question does the sec look you bring in more top football brands it it makes it a more attractive product. Mm-hmm. The TV revenues go up. Is there a potential where you shoot yourself in the foot, though? Yeah, that's where I see. Where suddenly, look, if I'm USC, you know, I got a pretty clear path to this college football playoff. If I'm Ohio State, I've got, I've got like an annual reservation for wherever the championship you know, game Ohio is. State and Clemson. <sighs> and and so does it, uh, you know. In some ways, if you're thinking about this like purely kind of like a game theoretic, pure kind of competitive response, maybe the smart move is for those other conferences to not respond. Right. Let the SEC have a feeding frenzy and then painfully have to make the argument every year that a two-loss Oklahoma team should get to be in the college football playoff over an undefeated Oregon team. And we've seen it. I mean, we, we've yeah. seen that happen with undefeated Notre Dame or a two-loss Georgia um, that's played a significantly harder schedule. I mean, the undefeated team seems to make it in. So, you know, as far as these teams being incentivized to do this, I don't know, outside of recruiting and outside of having this uh, this aura of significance <laughs> surrounding your football program, having all these big games in the season that are exciting for fans and that draw national TV audiences. Um, I think the SEC, with how competitive it's looking to become, will, will have a significant advantage to those conferences in that regard. But like you said, like Clemson has a cakewalk to, to the playoff every year. Ohio State has a cakewalk to the playoff. Oklahoma, prior to joining the SEC, has a cakewalk to the playoff. And uh, those playoff appearances are incredible. I mean, that that gives you yeah. that that creates the branding that you know we are one of the top entities in college football. We are one of the top teams. I think for the league, though, I think the league doesn't feel like it's the top league um, or that it's yeah. competing for that without having significant competition. And I think that's where I think the league is is more fearful that SEC. Oh. 
um, overpowering it than these individual entity teams. Because if I'm Clemson, I'm completely satisfied with scheduling as it stands, and I'm yeah, happy to. I like it how it is. Yeah, and I'm. Right? I, and hey, I mean, if I'm them, I'm happy to schedule Georgia game one. Because guess what? If Clemson wins that game, they're pretty much guaranteed to make the playoff. If they lose that game, it just means they can't lose to Syracuse later in the year, um, and, and they can still make the playoff. So, I think that the the individual teams, particularly the teams that have been making the playoffs, um, should be against this, in my opinion. I mean, as a Georgia fan, I, looking at it and thinking Oklahoma could join our division, we have a cakewalk to the SEC championship every year. I mean, it's, every year yeah. it comes down to the Georgia-Florida game, and that's about it. It's a one-game season as far as wanting to make the SEC championship, and then at that point, it's a one-game season to make the playoff. And so thinking about Oklahoma joining the mix and, and dividing that pot, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Florida all of a sudden competing for that one spot, I mean, at some point, that's going to bite you in the butt if, you're, if your goal is to win as many games as possible. Yeah, I just, you know, I, maybe we should say a relative cakewalk, right? Um, that it's right, right. You know, it's almost like murderers row. And you know, do you want to play in? Do you want to play in the elite conference and face a murderers row every year, yeah. or do you want to have sort of a more civilized league <laughs> where you get to, you know, you you you're 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 not, you know, because it is this this dangerous thing of you could be the fourth best team in the country and you could finish in fourth place in the SEC. <laughs> right. And, and I think that's, I mean, like, as I'm looking at like some of the, as I'm looking at the second half of the top 20 here, you know, I, I was a faculty member at the university of Florida during some pretty good days for that program with Spurrier as coach and urban Meyer as coach. They're ranked 13th going into the season. That almost feels hopeless, mm. right? I mean, and, and look, they could, the Gators can go on a run. The Gators got talent. But well, it's not nearly as much fun to go into the season ranked four, five, six, and like a legitimate chance to feel like versus thirteen and go, yeah, we're probably going to finish second in the league, and we're going to play in a bowl game in Tampa bowl, on yeah. January first. Right. Here, here's the issue with things um, in the SEC right now, and I think Florida is a perfect example because I'm familiar with their schedule this year because i'm a georgia fan and i know the schedules of my team's rivals um florida has to play alabama in the regular season okay so let's say they win that game and they they win the bulk of their games they go to the sec championship who are they likely to play in the sec championship alabama alabama let's say they lose that game but they win out the rest of the games they beat georgia they they beat the rest of the sec east teams they go to the sec championship they're playing alabama to win the game or to make the playoff, they have to win that game. Alabama's undefeated. Let's say Florida beats Alabama. They get to the playoff, and you've got a one-loss Florida team and a one-loss Alabama team, uh, both of whom are likely making the playoffs. Okay, so national championship, who's Florida going to play? More than likely, or it could even be the first round of the playoff, Alabama. So you look at it, talk about hopelessness. If you're Florida looking at your schedule and thinking, man, if we have the Best possible scenario, we will probably have to play Alabama three times this year. <laughs> I mean, that's a that that's impossible. Nobody's beating Alabama three. I don't think Joe Burrow's LSU would have beaten Alabama twice, uh, much less three times. And so it, it's a very um, if you're in the SEC and you have a schedule like that, whereas Clemson might have no team of that caliber until the national championship game, and then just have to beat them once, you know, and and well, have one well, good you know, game. I mean, Doug, maybe, you know, thinking about this from a different perspective, you know, conference realignment has 
We've had a lot of that over the last decade and after over the last couple of decades. What schools have um, what schools have kind of been the losers of conference realignment? Everyone thinks about oh well, you know the, this this conference now has a better TV package um, because they've got more of these uh, elite brands. But what schools have you know gone from school schools that were playing in major bowl games on January first, mm-hmm. the old system, to teams that are tending to I don't know finish third in the conference and be almost irrelevant. Uh, I'll give you a couple. I mean, as a, as a Big Ten guy, University of Nebraska, mm-hmm. and to some extent, Penn State. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Michigan's a little different just because they can't seem to hire the right, find the right coach. Mm-hmm. But Penn State and Nebraska have had runs where they were truly top five programs, and now they are, you know, I, I guess... They're, they're not the elite of the conference that they're playing. In. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to, first one that comes to mind for me is Missouri. I remember Chase. I remember Missouri entered the sec and Georgia having to play them. Uh, and Georgia lost to them early in their tenure in the sec at, at some point, but that was a huge, that was a huge battle. I mean, that was a team that had been in the top 10 uh, for a couple years. That, that was a huge threat. They'd been playing in some huge, you know, bowl games, and now they are not even an afterthought. I mean, I, I forget that they're in the SEC. I forget. I mean, they might as well be Vanderbilt. Um, so that's a team that went from being looked at as a successful football program to now having the perception of a bottom tier team. And, and you know what, Doug? I don't think there was any surprise that that was the trajectory. I mean, Missouri yeah. was having some good years in the Big 12. Yeah. But I don't think anyone thought they were going to be a power player in the SEC. No, and, and I sure didn't. Yeah. But seeing how it's yeah. played out for them, um, you start to wonder, could they have had a, a better trajectory had they stuck around? I think they would have. I do too. Yeah. So another team, and, and this gets back to our conversation we just had, Notre Dame joining the ACC. This is a really interesting one to me. A, because Notre Dame is is traditionally a non-conference football team, the only non-conference football team. But B, Notre Dame's a team that's made the playoffs in years. They're that team that where you'll have a two-loss Georgia or two-loss Florida, and no, undefeated Notre Dame will make it over them, and Notre Dame's biggest win will be against Pitt. <laughs> okay. You know what? Can I say something about Notre Dame? I, and I don't know what the deal has always been with Notre Dame. Notre Dame belongs in the Big Ten. And I don't know if at this point that it's Notre Dame refusing to go to the Big yeah. Ten or the Big Ten is so sick of Notre Dame. Yeah. But talk about a mistake in terms of Ohio, you know, Notre Dame, you know, going on the road now to play North Carolina or, you know, who, whoever, Boston College. I mean, that's a good Catholic school rivalry. But versus Notre Dame staying home in the Midwest and playing Ohio State in Michigan, it's... That one pains me as the marketing. It makes no sense. And then you add in the fact that this is a team that was making national championship games in the BCS era with little to no competition in the regular season. And now they have to get through Clemson probably twice some years because there's a regular season and then there's a championship game um, just to make the playoff. And so not not to mention teams like Florida State that are fully capable of being on Clemson's level um, on any you know any given year or Miami, and the competition is significantly greater. And that's a team that by joining a better conference, better than their no no team conference, 
their playoff hopes have diminished. That's what I'm that's what I see with the SEC. That's what I see with Oklahoma joining the SEC. I don't think that it makes I don't think Oklahoma's this bottom tier team like people act like the SEC fans are like, "Oh, they can't survive a SEC schedule." I don't think that's true, but I do think that your odds of winning it all go down significantly because you go well, from that- a, a automatic 1 in 4 shot to now having maybe a 1 in 4 shot of making the SEC championship game at which point you have a 50% yeah, chance well, of making the playoff at which point you have a 1 in 4 shot. As an outsider, a little bit of an outsider, I'll throw in my unbiased and frankly maybe not educated enough opinion. I suspect Oklahoma ends up being the same kind of class of program as LSU, Florida. Nothing wrong with that, yeah. right? But it's going to go from okay, you know, from consistent college football playoffs. And look, I think in the background of all this. I got to think the college football playoff system is going to change. It's got but to. From consistent playoff appearances to occasional playoff appearances. Yeah, and speaking on it needing to change, uh, we talked earlier about how it feels predictable, how it feels like we're going to, you know, some variation of Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma. And then there's that next, you know, maybe group of, of Georgia, Florida, Notre Dame. FSU, FSU, USC. Yeah, whatever. There's a couple teams that it's like one in every 10 years they'll make it in. Um, but for the most part, we've we've got those top four set. It'd be a lot more interesting, in my opinion, just from just as a casual football fan. This isn't talking Georgia football. This is as a, I just like watching interesting sports and seeing what might happen. Seeing the same matchups over and over again and same championships over and over again can be fatiguing. I think eight teams, that... Top four is almost always the same. Five to eight. Five to eight changes every year. Some years Auburn will be in there. Some years Penn State will be in there. Some years there's a lot of big phantoms, big football programs. And if you give them hope, if you give those teams a shot, hey, there's no telling what can happen. Um, you know, it's only a couple games they have to win to win the whole thing. But B, you're getting different matchups every year. It's not the same Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State yeah. every time. But, Oklahoma, Alabama. Yeah. Eight teams is destiny. I mean, that, that's going to happen. Now, I would ask the question of if the SEC continues to expand and ends up having, I don't know, four divisions at this point, at some point, Who knows? is the SEC going to have to have a playoff system uh, that then follows playoff. the college football system? And I think playoff system, I suspect that's the direction this is all going. And that's why I have no idea where it's going to go, but something's going to change. Here's my take. The, and this has been my take. The SEC is not incentivized to have a playoff or to have even an SEC championship. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Uh, let's go back. 2018, I believe Alabama is, they're in the top four. They're, they're either number one or two or three. And Georgia is number four in the country. Okay. Um, going into the playoff, going into the college football playoff. Notre Dame at the time, I believe, was not in a conference. So they have no, they have one less game and one less, that's the hardest game of the season for everyone else. They have one less game. Georgia and Alabama, three and four, or one and four, whatever it was, they play each other. Um, So the winner of that game goes, the loser gets out of the playoff, and then Notre Dame comes in from not playing a game. By default, I think if the SEC is in a position where they have multiple teams that can be in a 14 playoff, by default, and those teams are about to play each other, 
you just crown a, a regular season championship, let those two teams play in in the college football playoff. Because if I think it was one in four, and I think Georgia and Alabama, if the season had ended that day, they would have played the next game. They would have played each other in the next game. Uh, and okay, it would have been me, in the college football playoff. The SEC lost themselves a team. Let me counterpoint. They that lost for themselves you, a playoff team. They could have had half okay. the playoff. Alternatively, Doug, you've got an SEC playoff with round one in New Orleans and the other side of round one in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. and then the the championship game in. Atlanta. And so this goes on for two weeks. I mean, it's sad, but money, money, it's money, fun. Money. It's fun. There's a and lot of money. It's fun. It's big time. I think you're, it's also, it's also sort of, I guess the word might be a little bit of uh, cannibalization, self cannibalization. Yeah. I think you're hurting your conference's chances of winning a national championship. I also think you're hurting the teams within your conference's chances of making the playoff because there's, I think there's less teams that can make it at that point. You know, they beat each what, other. what might be a little bit of a strange aside on all this is maybe the SEC SEC's attitude will change when Nick Saban actually leaves, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. So I'm looking at the clock. I think it's time to wrap this one up. So college football, fun times ahead. Most passionate fans in maybe any sport, because like I said, you are part of the Georgia Nation. You're with them forever. Yes, sir. Um, it is. You know, it's like you're, you love the University of Georgia and every Saturday during the fall, you get reconnected to that program mm-hmm. via some pretty exciting TV. Now, as an Illini guy, it's a little bit different, but it's still kind of meaningful. So any uh, any last comments you've got on yes. the upcoming season? Yes, Doug? I have a last comment. Um, I could talk about this all day, but week one this year might be the best week one ever we've got i'm looking at my top five matchups lsu at ucla ucla with chip kelly they've they've won their i think their last two against sec teams at home lsu coming off a down year looking to bounce back that one will be fun notre dame at florida state that one's taking place on a sunday um, but big acc showdown penn state at wisconsin in week one i mean these teams have what three weeks of practice and then they're just going head to head Miami versus Alabama Miami with the uh, dear King looking to win a Heisman although I don't expect it because he plays Alabama in week one what there couldn't be a worse way to kill your Heisman odds nevertheless a huge matchup two big brands and the top game of the week for week one Clemson versus Georgia I just I don't recall having this many huge brands going head to head in week one I love it and I love that college football is moving in a direction with these alliances or whatnot, these super conferences, mega conferences, whatever you want to call it, where we're seeing big football brands go head-to-head more frequently during the regular season. Less cupcakes, more competition. I'm all for it. Let's go. Okay. Love the passion. Hate the message. When you talk about cupcakes, I feel like you're almost getting a little personal with me. (laughs) Um, We've moved on from the Lovey Smith era to something quite a bit more promising at Illinois, I believe, in terms of a coach that's a really kind of a traditional program builder, which is a for someone like Illinois' place in the universe is probably what they need. But man, I, I know where you're going with, and I, like I said, I love your I love your passion. But man, I, is there a place for the University of Illinois in this new world of college football? Um, and is and if there's a place, is it anything more than being the equivalent of the Washington Generals? Um, 
But, you know, like I said, this is, even all that being said, college football season, beautiful thing, magical thing, with NIL, conference realignment, it's going to be chaos and it's going to be great. Uh, As always, thanks for listening and a lot more content at www.fandomanalytics.com.